the Christian prosperity is not the attainment of money, it is the fulfillment of God's purposes. Contentment is not the lack of expectation, it's the presence of total trust in the living God regarding His care for your life. this morning. I'm sure you've learned that coordinating is one of the biggest challenges when you have multitudes of people, lots of different schedules to try to accommodate, and, and, and that's just what we're trying to do. It's not that we can't make decisions, but we want to make it uh, as, you know, as convenient as possible for everyone. And I know that hay rides are generally at night, but with all our little kids, and we, it's really about them. And they, they don't care if it's night, the little ones. They just want the, the hay, you know, and something different. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it is, and that's what we're going to try to do. All right? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I guess the kids are gone already. We don't have to sing, do we? All right, let's pray then. You, Father, we are so grateful that uh, uh, of who you are and... Lord, in, in, in who you recognize us to be. Father, that we're loved. And uh, uh, God, just, uh, we want to express our hearts. And thank you that where we could have been and what we could have been doing and, you know, how our life could just been wasted, but because of your mercy and your grace and because someone Someone in life had crossed our path and spoken to it, and by your great love and your great power, the Holy Spirit, you touched and changed our hearts and lives, and we thank you for that. Uh, God, we just honor you. I want to thank you, Lord, for this, for the privilege and the honor of serving and pastoring this church for these years, and for the great people that you've given to us and allowed us to be part of their life and they a part of our lives. I just pray the richest of blessings, the overflow of God, constantly be upon each generation. Father, to you be the glory and thank you for Jesus. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank the Lord. Oh, yes, God is good. We're just going to practice heaven a little bit here half hour of silence. We're not going to do it for a half hour, but I was telling the uh, prayer room team this morning that God was really interested and concerned about your believing. He has, he has went to great extremes to inspire and stimulate and get your attention and improve how you believe. One day when Jesus was praying, and just before he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he did something out of character. He spoke about it. It wasn't something that they would normally do because he said, you know, Father, I know you always hear me, but I said this to help these people that they might believe. And then also, the Bible says that the the book that's written that has all of these miracles and the events of Jesus in it, and this is John chapter 20. He said that there are a lot of things that Jesus did, but that were not written. But he said the things that we've written, he said, was to help you believe. To help you believe in Jesus, that he's the Son of God. So, 
God is really concerned and interested in building your confidence and your faith. That when you, you know, you're really confident, steadfast, and assured. If your faith has taken a hit, God is interested in, you know, bringing the repair to that. Because he really wants you to believe. Because when that happens, you know, the title of my message this morning is Divine Connectors. Divine Connectors. They that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. And so, you know, you can go ahead and you can go and say, yeah, God is pointing his finger at you, and he says, you know, like he's almost commanding you to believe. No, he went to great extent to facilitate and somehow stimulate, you know, divine events. You know, out of this world of, you know, happenings, because, you know, he's just not telling you to believe. He's trying to go ahead and encourage you to believe. And so, uh, I think that's really a good perspective. Not because I said it, but because in the book, it, it helps me too. God isn't just challenging our faith. He's trying to inspire our faith. Believe. So this morning I want to talk to you about divine connectors. And I'm going to start out in an arena in an area that most of the time when you, when you step into it, everybody stiffens up. All of a sudden, you know what I mean? There gets to be a little tenseness and, you know, feet shift here and there a little bit. And, and it is kind of, uh-oh, what's he after now? Well, if you start looking at things, you know what I mean, as divine connectors, you know, you will go ahead and just kind of say, I want to hear this. I want to hear this. Those things that stimulate the heart of God on your behalf. Think about it. Those things that somehow capture God's attention. Now, he's already went, you know, to the cross and rose again. And, but there are connectors. When Nicodemus came to him and he was, he was wondering, how do I connect here, God, to this thing? And he says, well, he said, first thing you got to do, Nicodemus, before you even know anything about what you're going to connect with is you got to be born again. One of the, the connectors, of course, with the kingdom is, is being born again. And that aspect is, of course, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and the door. No man cometh on the Father but by him. So Jesus is the connector. He's the ultimate connector. He's the, the divine connector. In other words, there is, there, is, there is no beginning unless we begin in him. But then also, you know what I mean? There are those things because the kingdom is is. Many faceted, has many dimensions. There are those things that connect us. You know what I mean? Uh, the kingdom plan and purposes to our life and to our to our living. So those stimulants that that stimulate the heart of God on your behalf, and so that the blessing that begins to be on a regular basis in your life are uncontainable. They're overflows. The passage in the, the book that I'm going to read from is the last book of the Old Testament. And it's the book of Melchi. Melchi is a prophet and he has served in some of the interim time of both Ezra and Nehemiah. And so that begins to set the stage for you so you understand, you know, what has taken place. Walls have been rebuilt and 
the temple has been restored. They are now back in their promised land of Palestine, not under their own rulership, but of the, under the Persian rulership. And they have been there for a hundred years. Okay? hundred years from the Babylonian captivity, which was 70. They were in captivity for 70 years. God has orchestrated a miraculous, you know, uh, miracle for them. Get them back in their land. And they've been there for approximately 100 years. Things are not going well. It's not because of the Persian rulership that's over them, we discover. But, you know, they're a little bit distraught. And they're a little bit on edge. Because they had presumed based upon the promises of God and, you know, that things should have been going better. And so Malchiah steps up to the plate and God begins to talk to the, this, this, his people. And if you want to read it, you can see their situation there. It was a national situation. It was a personal situation. And when God begins to talk to them, the first thing he tells them, is the reason I'm going to talk to you is because I love you. The very first thing, it says, the burden of the Lord, and he said, that I love you. And then you read it, and if you don't go back to the first verse and recognize that God is addressing you because he, he loves you, you could get a bitter pill out of it. You're not getting nervous, are you? All right. It's an amazing thing that, that when God, you know, you got to capture the heart of God so that you can be receptive of the word of God. If you feel that somebody really cares about you, you'll have an open ear to them. If you think that whoever it is, you know what I mean, that they're just messing around and they really don't have your best interest in, in, at heart, you know, probably can't wait to get out of their presence. So it's not going so good. And uh, so they will figure it out. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we'll get going here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If the blessings are in the heavenly realm, which it says, how do we bring them down to where we're at? You following me? How do you get them down here? Wait a minute now. I'm not off. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we get the heavenly things into the earthly domain? It's supposed to be a, a, the very heart and interest of our life, of our prayer life. And so I'm going to read it for you. The first connector. Now, follow me all the way through this morning. Wait till the end, all right? Seriously. Wait till the end. Have my verse up there. 
Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room to, enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Just one thing, or not, not an only thing. God makes a challenge. And it's a challenge and a call to generosity. A call to generosity. God has a system in place that when we do things his way, you get his results. While there are seasons we give, we weed, we plow, we sow, we water, and we harvest. Times it seemed that there's unending labor and sacrifice. Then eventually comes the reward. It's when the harvest comes in, over and above, that's when you know God has smiled on your plot of ground. God has smiled on your plot of ground. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He talks about windows of heaven. A connector that literally opens the windows of heaven not only opens the windows of heaven, but also sets at bay the destroyers that sometimes come early in the seasons to try to reduce the benefits. So out of, out of God's love, he begins to talk to the people. And basically what he's saying is this. He says, I want you to see your inadequate response to God's love. This is not you. No, this, is, this is these people back here, you know. They're the ones that, you know, they they've, haven't had the right response. But that's what he's saying. He said, You've, you, you really have an inadequate response to the love of God here. Positioning our lives for for blessing. When, next frame, please. When you live a lifestyle of giving, when you live a lifestyle of giving, God says, I'm going to see to it that your harvest reaches its maximum. Time, talents, resources, all of those things have a prerequisite in qualification and it has to do with our heart. God says, when we will be givers of generosity and, and, and give for the, the, to, to bless others in his name, God says, I'll see to it that every need is met in abundance and to his glory. Scripture promises that God will fill your storehouse and Drive away the wasters. A couple of passages of scriptures that 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, and he who sows bountifully also reaps bountifully. So what is he saying? He says, the measure of return is in proportion to the measure of giving. I love what Proverbs says in chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. We're not just talking about money this morning. We're talking about generosity of spirit. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I, was, I could use a little refreshing here this last week. And so he said, well, why don't you just refresh somebody? Because you're guaranteed that if you go ahead and refresh somebody, then you're going to get refreshed. There are spiritual forces we know that are at work. An objective of those, of course, is to to really play with your harvest. Forces that are there to go ahead and make it less than it ought to be. And Jesus said, here's some principles that sets me between what's yours and what he wants to take away. We'll get real close now. Tithing and still lacking. Tithing and still lacking. What could be some of the reasons that you are legislatively doing, legislatively doing the word of God and yet not reaping what you believe God has, has said? That was their question. How come it's not working? The root of dissatisfaction concerning life comes because something is lacking spiritually, not just financially. It's perspective. It's perspective. The kind of spirit, the kind of spirit can have an adverse effect on the outcome of a worthy exercise. The kind of spirit. I refer to these elements as creating a right environment for the growing season. The right environment for the growing season. As you walk with God, God can make such a difference that a $100 can seem like $1,000, and on the other hand, $1,000 can seem like only $100. Because the center of everything has got to be Jesus, the very source of life. Poverty cannot be defined or measured simply as a lack of money. Or success as the amount of money. But it's about being in God's will. It's about having the right vision and having the right attitude. Proverbs 22 and says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. There's an eye that 
is not just turned to self, but it's turned outward way more than it's turned inward. Some of the reasons that tithing is giving doesn't work and is still lack is because of poor stewardship. Poor stewardship. Poor stewardship about life. The riches of Christ are really in doing the will. Consider, for instance, the missionary who works overseas and he makes very little money for the work that they do, yet have a tremendous spiritual abundance. They don't feel poor. They feel wealthy because they're fulfilling their calling and their purpose and their destiny. And they're just content with that. And that brings me to what we're trying to say here is it's contentment. It's contentment. It doesn't work because there's not contentment. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, With godliness, with contentment, is great gain. Because God is such a tremendous blesser, and because God has promised all these things in our life, sometimes we can get into a selfish mode that erodes contentment in our life. See, richness is not the amount of money. Back, please. Sorry, Andy. Richness, then, is not the amount of money you have, but because of the level of contentment you have in God's God's will. And contentment is not the lack of expectation. No. It's the presence of total trust in the living God regarding his care for your life. It doesn't mean that you don't have requests. It doesn't mean you don't have desires. It doesn't mean any of that, but it means that you understand that there's someone bigger than you and I. God wants to help us in the arena of how we believe. For the Christian, prosperity is not the attainment of money. It is the fulfillment of God's purposes. Giving should not, be, should not depend on the outcome, but on the act of worship. Somebody say good preaching. <laughs> Amen. There's always outcome. Was sowing and hell. But it's worship. It's worship. It's not just to get, it's to honor. There's more wealth in the eternal purposes of God than all the gold mines of the world. It was the Apostle Paul that talked to us about contentment. He said, I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in. He said, I've learned how to be content when I didn't have much. And I've learned how to be content when I, didn't, when I had all kinds. How many know that? I mean, if you live life, you know, for any amount of time, that you'll find out that that. Fostering contentment is more challenging in prosperity than it is in poverty. They're different trains. And they're both part of life. 
But he says you can have contentment no matter what the arena is. And that's true success. Well, what do you talk about? Living with the eternal purposes. That's lining up with the reason. Why am I here? What's my calling? See, I can have dreams that might take me outside of my calling. Just because I'm surrounded by, you know, all kinds of ideas. The face of our Father should always be the object of our affection. So perfect wealth is wrapped up in the presence and the will of God. And when we live for him and not ourselves, we avoid the trap of demanding that God conform to us rather than us conforming to him. I believe that God is liberal, a giver, and in fact, is he, he just, you know what I mean, you, you, you can't outgive God. But if we're not careful, we will start making God conform to us rather than us conform to him. We'll, we will start putting demands upon God, you know what I mean? And we will see his demands too hard when really they are, they fit just perfectly. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 7. He said, with this posture and this position, you'll never get a reluctant answer from God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's just like God is willing. We're talking about d- divine connectors. There's a tendency to want prosperity from God without allowing God to prosper through us. I remember growing up as those that fostered my my spiritual heritage. All the saints older than me. Age is not bad. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, on earth I long just to be like him. All through life's journey, from earth to glory, I only ask to be like him. Would you pass the plate, uh, Wayne? <laughs> you have to pay for that. <laughs> There's a simplicity of life. Life is complicated, but God makes it so simple. I just want you to respond and react and act to life like Jesus would. We don't always do it. We know that. But at the heart of the thing is he's not saying, give me your money. He's saying, I want generous people. People who have a generosity in their spirit.
it's not so much how much you give. It's really how you give it. He's not looking so much at the amount you give. As the widow with the might demonstrates for us. It's easy to give out of abundance. But it really catches God's attention when you give out of your lack. That's what he said to the Thessalonians. You know, as Paul, you know, writes, he said that they, they gave out of their lack, out of their, their need, a generous spirit. And, you know, and I don't blame people for becoming, you know, less than generous because we live in a society and, and sometimes in a church world, you know, they're not interested in your well-being, they're interested in their well-being. And they manipulate the scriptures with their application and saying, well, you got to sow this first before you can get this and without really concern about you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that when you give toward God and for God, you're not enriching him. You are making divine connectors. Divine connectors. And we're wealthy on the inside. We'll be content on the outside. I should tell you my story. I don't know if I will, though, because it doesn't make me look good. Now you want to hear it, don't you? I'm going to go over to the Great War, Andy, there. Paul says there's a war that happens in us. There's a great war that's, that's going on. Matthew 26 and 41, it says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> what we run up against? We run up against the flesh. Spirit says yes, and the flesh says no. And I think that the body of Christ genuinely, it doesn't mean, it, it's not trying to fight God. But it's that battle, that war on the inside that Paul wrote about in in Romans chapter 7. The spirit just hungers to do the the will of God. And then when we got the flesh over here that's pulling the other way. And it just wants to please itself. Both sides can be very strong. It depends on which one we feed the most determines who becomes the strongest. The more we sow in the spirit, the more we realize our capacity for faith. And faith is an absolutely, you know, uh, it's, it's the ultimate thing in the, the kingdom of God. It's, it's the means of exchange. We sow to the spirit, we let the spirit reap everlasting life. But Jesus said there's something about the cares of life that, you know, can, can come in and can spoil the crop. The worries that undermine your faith and what you believe and the enticement of the world. He says that, you know, it's not like it's all bad, but out of balance. 
So basically he's saying that our giving should reflect our spiritual reality. What kind of giver does God like? (laughs) Not just givers. He loves cheerful givers. Divine connectors. Divine connectors. And the whole thing is it's our heart. When it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he's saying, we need closeness. We need intimacy because it, it is there our sight returns. It is there that we get the values that are important in life and for life. God calls us close to him in relationships so that he can do something inside of us. And I'm going to tell my story now. Because that's what you're waiting for. (laughs) I was in prayer. You shouldn't be surprised. You hear me talk about prayer all the time. But I was holding up some petitions. And he wasn't really responsive. He was just kind of quiet. God was. You could, I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about vocal things, but he wasn't, he just, you know, I just sensed it. I just sensed it. You know what I mean? And so then I got into my little, maybe you don't do this, you know, God, you know, yeah, that's you know, complaining mood. Complaining prayer. You can get those too. I don't feel you. What's going on? Oh, God, please help. You know? Finally, he spoke very. He says, take a look at your request. And not the request, but the heart that's producing the request. He said, it's very selfish. Not the request, but the heart that was producing the request. And let me tell you, when he shines a light on it, you can't argue with it. He wasn't beating me up. No. He was enlightening me. Needless to say, I repented. And I had to ask him, you know, I just couldn't get, you know, I just couldn't clean it up on my own. I said, Lord, we've got to spend some time together here because, you know, just a confession of it's going to take more than that. It's going to take some divine presence. Remember, there was nothing wrong with the request. It was the condition of the the heart that was was making the request. We got it all straightened out. Praise the Lord. I got peace. I got joy. You know what I mean? I got confidence. And, you know, I, I felt good again. Because I had him who was the object of all requests. And that is the divine presence. I have to move here. I'm going to go to planting the kingdom in your own garden, Andy. I never saw this before. I preached on it many times. But it's about your own garden, which you maybe already have done, because you're a believer this morning, but you may have never looked at it like this. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven, 
What is the kingdom of heaven of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden. And it grew and became a large tree. And of course, you know what I mean, became, you know, advantageous to what to, to ever. You've got to get the kingdom planted in your garden. The kingdom not only has to be planted in your garden, but it has to grow. Getting the kingdom in your garden will affect all of the other plants that are planted in there. It is investing in your own garden. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Nicodemus was interested in the kingdom. Jesus gave him connectors to the kingdom. Jesus said, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm going to close with kingdom connectors and principles that I think that the Bible teaches and what we as New Testament believers need to align ourselves up to. It is not legislative. Now, it is a spirit of generosity. The new covenant provides a better way to live and a better way to give. A better way to live and a better way to give. Say it with me. A better way to live and a better way to give. He gives us a better hope. Hebrews 7 and 19. Not legislative attitude, but because of something that's better. A better covenant, a better promise, a better sacrifice, a better possession, a better resurrection. Everything about New Testament believing is better. Everything about New Testament ways is better. So I want to leave you this morning and this pastor's appreciation day with some better way characteristics. Better way characteristics. Better way giving is motivated by God's unconditional love. Motivated by God's unconditional love. What is it about God's unconditional love that you don't love, that you don't like? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God says, I want to take care of your eternal destiny. And I want to give you some God connectors for your earthly journey. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 13, you know what I mean? And that I show you a better way. Gifts that are molded by love and not their talent. Gifts, you know what I mean? That are motivated by love and not abilities. All of it is fine. But it's the heart of the matter. I'm so glad that God started 
with the right heart. Why? Because if you've been a significant receiver, you will be a significant giver. Jesus posed the question to Peter and the story. They are in a house. Jesus comes in the house. He's with some, you know, Pharisees, and it had been invited, people of means. And a woman hears about it. And she slides into the house, and she starts to wash his feet with her tears and dry it with her hair. And those sitting there are a little taken back by it. He's letting this, this happen. And so he sets the stage for what he wants them to capture. And he says, there was a man that was in debt. His debt was 500 denarii. And there was a man that was in debt and it was only five. Who will love the most? They got the answer right. They said, the one who has been forgiven the most. Jesus actually said this. You have answered right. You've answered right. To what degree do you see your forgiveness? Is it 500 or is it five? Until you realize that you have freely been given, you'll have difficulty freely given. Giving, Jesus said. A better way of giving is motivated by, motivated by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. The love of God, the amazing grace. 5 and 8 of Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He made his move. Without a guaranteed response. Oh, somebody shout Hallelujah. He gave without a guaranteed response. He invested way before it had been time to reap. He's not after our money. He's after giving us a spirit of generosity. Freely you have received. Freely give. We have the passages of scripture there. We won't go there, but it's in Luke chapter 7. You see, if we see ourselves as generally good people, and we're just people who are just in need of some spiritual fine-tuning, we'll find ourselves with little motivation to be generous. Paul said, a wretched man that I am, who is gonna, who's going to deliver me? I don't know about you, but I find myself in myself more weaker than ever. In more need of his grace and mercy. You know what I mean? I asked my musicians to come this morning as we wrap this up. 
understanding our desperate position, our condition, and the extraordinary act that Jesus took to free us. We'll miss the one driving key for why we give to God. said that he made it abound toward us in all wisdom and in prudence. God connectors. His love. His grace. God motivators. A better way of giving is motivated by the Spirit's guiding freedom. The Holy Spirit. My wife and I have a regular routine of giving. You know what I mean? The, the, the principles of tithes and offerings. But at the same time, you know what I mean? We'll go. We feel like the Holy Spirit is saying. Making room for the Holy Spirit to go ahead and, you know, be the leader. And tell us. Spirit's guidance, that, that his personal GPS in our lives. A internal motivated giving and not just external motivating giving. My wife is more generous than me. But I've learned always fall on the generous side and say I mean who am I to know that generosity is really a godlike thing and say no <laughs> oh hallelujah Stand with me this morning. God connectors. The things that just that stimulate the heart of God toward you, toward your life. Yes. He said to them as they're struggling. It might not always be the lack of giving. It might be the spirit of the giving. And he says that it's not that when you sow a seed that you won't get a harvest, but he says if you want to get God to smile upon the plot then how you give lines you up with the master giver windows of heaven open up and crop stealers don't show up somebody give the Lord a praise hallelujah Windows of heaven open up and crop stealers don't show up. That's what he said. As you go today, I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 in the kind of spirit that I want to be officiating in this house by the grace of God. So let each of you give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a tearful giver. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you give the Lord a praise this morning for the good things he has done. Amen. Father, as we leave the house this morning, we're so grateful, Father, that you address 
our conditions and you give us divine connectors so that we might have divine favor. And we bless you for it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love one another. God bless you today. Thank you for listening to this message from Bible Center Church. For more information, you can find us online at www.biblectr.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash BibleCTR.